You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy, and this is my podcast where I sit down with fellow musicians and we talk about their music, their lives, and most importantly, craft beers. I just came back from Asia. I survived the Laws of the Flesh 2019. Eight shows, seven countries, 11 planes, one high-speed train, a whole bunch of van rides, it was insane. It was amazing. The All of that traveling was super intense, but uh, the fans and the crowds totally made it worth it. I have to give a huge, huge shout out to uh, a future Vox and Hops alumni. I conducted an interview with this guy. Huge shout out to Samprasong, Gino, Slam Man Booking, the guy that put this tour all together. So much love, so much respect. Thank you for organizing such a great tour. And uh, any of you metal bands out there that want to tour Asia, hit up Slam Man Bookings and you will not be disappointed. While I was away, I got uh, some great, great news. I kept uh, hinting that uh, some big things were coming for Vox and Hops. I had uh, aspired to make this happen, and it did. I got confirmation while I was away. Vox and Hops will be at Heavy Montreal this year. And I'm going to be interviewing a whole bunch of bands. I'm super stoked about this. I can't announce who I'm interviewing as of yet, but I will be at both days of Heavy Montreal. And the lineup consists of bands such as Slayer, Ghost, Godsmack, Evanescence, Slash, Anthrax, Steel Panther, In This Moment, Kill Switch Engage, Clutch, Gamma Ray, Beartooth, Hatebreed, Skillet, Atreyu, Quiet Riot, Watain, Cataclysm, Despised Icon, and the whole Summer Slaughter lineup is going to be on there as well. So you got Cattle Decapitation, you got Rivers of Nile, you got The Faceless, you got Carnifex, you got you got Lorna Shore, you got Brand of Sacrifice. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super honored. I am so excited about this. Today on the podcast is the last episode that I conducted on the Hell Over North America tour. This time around, it's my brother, Jim Gregory, the guitarist of Solium Fatalis. Check it out. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. What's up, everybody? Today we are in Rouyn-Noranda at Le Trèfle Noir, and I'm sitting down with my now good friend, <laughs> Jim Gregory, the amazing guitarist, underrated amazing guitarist, of Solium Fatalis, and on this run, he's been helping us out, uh, slinging some cotton, selling some merch. Yeah. Tell everyone a little about yourself. I grew up in Iowa, and uh, when I was, and I've been playing guitar since I was, um, I guess, ten years old, which would have been like 1989. And I wasn't any good at it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then when I was in uh, my first year of college, I decided that. I didn't really want to live in Iowa anymore, so I joined the Air Force in 1998. And uh, somewhere around 2012, I started Solium Fatalis uh, towards the end of my military career. And we put our first album out in 2013. And then our second one out in 2015. Third one out in 2016. And then the fourth one came out in 2018. Uh, which is also coincides with the year I retired from 20 years in the U.S. Air Force. So. Yes, congratulations for that. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> He's been busting my chops this whole tour saying that. Let, let, let me understand, uh, was Solium your first band? No, I was in a, several projects and things that just never got off the ground because I had spent 
uh, anywhere from 100 to 300 days a year on the road, traveling, deploying, and things like that. So I would try to be in bands, but it was poor timing and just an inability to uh, really kind of get my bearings in a band. And then when I moved up to New Hampshire, I finally was able to do so because my work rate lightened up and I was able to meet musicians that wanted to do music with me and stuff like that. So, What was the initial inspiration for you to pick up a guitar? Well, I have a friend named Doug Gehring, who was a huge Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and ACDC fan, and he played guitar, and he said, you should play guitar, and I said, okay. And so I, <laughs> so I played his guitar, but I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know how to hold it, and then I, uh, I got lessons from this guy. I can't even remember his name. My mom found him. He's like, said, stop holding it like a violin. I was holding it flat in my lap like a steel, like, like uh, lap steel, like a uh, uh, slide guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. There was no internet, and you know we didn't have MTV or anything. I couldn't watch somebody play, so I just had to guess from pictures that I saw in magazines. And um, well, at any rate, uh, yeah. So we we were tooling around with guitars and things like that, and um, I just discovered like. 89 was about the time I found like Metallica and, and Justice for All was still a relatively new album so I'm dating myself and um, then I discovered death metal within the next two years which was when there was that great big boom of death metal bands like Morbid Angel and the, the Florida the Florida, yeah, the Florida takeover yeah. and right around that time was when like Napalm Death and all the Swedish stuff came out like Dismember and Entombed so it all kind of happened all at once and all coinciding with when we actually got MTV, and I finally saw this show called Headbangers Ball around 1990, 91. And they used to play all these really heavy, you know, death metal stuff like late in the show. And so I, I found a more eclectic blend of metal like X, XL and um, Mordred and a bunch of Bay Area thrash bands that kind of never really got big, unlike Testament or Slayer and stuff. So. I had a weird mix of bands that I grew up listening to along with death metal that inspired me to want to play guitar like that. But it wasn't until I was about 20 that I really started to wrap my head around what I was doing on a guitar. And even longer for me to get to where I was just competent at it and I could actually just play, you know, and hold time and things like that. So slow learner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I know that or you're you're picky yeah and yeah. or you have ideas in your mind that you can't replicate and that frustrated you yes very much so like it, it was a big problem at the time uh because the stuff in my head wasn't what was coming out of my hands so i refused to get in front of an audience and try and play it even in the early band days when i was in my early to mid 20s and stuff it just wasn't good enough to put in front of somebody it was it just wasn't it didn't sound as good as my favorite bands or any really good bands at all for that matter so at what point did you feel competent and comfortable enough to step out and get out into the stage? About the time I was 30, and uh, I really started to kind of focus in on doing Solium. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm ready. When you were deployed, did you ever bring a guitar with you? Or yeah, every, every time. Really? Every single time. Oh, that's I, awesome. I totally destroyed a guitar doing that. I had taken it to England where it was about... I don't know what it would be in Celsius, but about 15 degrees, so freezing. And then um, I took it into the desert where it was about 90 degrees, and then I took it back. You Just know, after the warped out yeah, of shape. It, it bent it completely out of shape, and I had it was so damaged that we couldn't repair it. So 
Then I started taking really cheap guitars with me over, just in case. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're at Trefle Noir. It's a popular place, uh, as you guys can all hear in the background. But the beer is good. Let's see what they got for us today. I wanted to drink their Ghostbuster, which is a Imperial Ghost with uh, coriander and... It's an Imperial Ghost, 6.6%. It has uh, kaffir lime leaves in it normally, but their tap is dry. So the guy suggested this one. It's a new one. It's not canned yet. It's called Quevillon. It is a sour pale ale. Let's see what it's got. Cheers. Cheers, man. It smells sour. No, I love this one. Reminds me of... uh, Oh, boy, it is good. It's not too bitter like a lot of these sour IPAs tend to be too bitter. This is good. This is drinkable. Clocks in at uh, 6.5%. It's very good. It's very similar to the true brewing beer we had in Denver. Are you a craft beer enthusiast? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. When did when did you start discovering craft beer? What um, would be some breweries? So the first time I discovered craft beer, I was living in Florida. And um, I was uh, stationed in Tampa at McDill Air Force Base. And um, they had just opened a craft beer store near my friend Rob's house. And so we used to go over there and we'd find these new brands. They're now household names. But at the time, Dogfish Head wasn't a household name. It was still a very relatively new brewery. And this was probably at least 15 years ago. And so... When I started discovering, that was my first IPA. Was a Dogfish Head ninety minute IPA. Really? Yes, Just it was. Like a, a very solid beer. Right, and uh, of course they've kind of surpassed that even themselves. And there's been so many great breweries that popped up. But that's where I started. And then I discovered like Sea Hag IPA and these other ones that came from New England and just all over the place. So I would try anything. I found my first barley wine doing that. And then, of course, amazing stouts from like Uintas, like the Labyrinth that I think you and I have had. And um, once I got up to New England, I realized that New England is one of, and there's several meccas in the United States for beer, but New England is definitely one of the big meccas for beer between Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Vermont. And you could probably add some other states too, but those those in particular, I've had a ton of beer from, and I've really never had an IPA that beat anything out of the New England area or an American Pale Ale or those types of beers. They inspired like a whole new wave of IPAs. Like I don't like West Coast IPAs anymore. I only want to drink New England hazy IPAs. Right. It's just. It's just but there's I, I, something really smooth and very easy about those it's like, beers. It's like still hoppy, but not bitter hoppy. Right, right. Which it's, is something I enjoy very much. Yeah, and it, it definitely differentiates between when I first started drinking IPAs from like Dogfish Head, the 6090, and the 120, which are really potent and they're pretty good. Um, but compared to like um, some of the ones in my area, like Great Rhythm or uh, From the Barrel, and I'm sure I'm going to forget a whole bunch of guys, but uh, Stoneface Brewing in New Hampshire is one of the best in that area. And they constantly surprise me with like their double dry hop dales. And, and they have a certain flavor to them that are very unique to that area. So it's been really cool. Do you remember your first beer? Yes, I do. Actually, I was a kid and my parents had had this party. <laughs> and they had gotten a ton of bush light. And I think I was probably eight or nine years old. And I was like, well, what's this? And I cracked open a can of this beer. I drank a sip of it, and I wanted to vomit. 
and I just dumped it out and I didn't touch any beer after that until I was like in my teens and then in my teens you would just get whatever alcohol you could get your hands on because it wasn't exactly legal for us to be drinking Especially in, in Iowa. Yeah, the legal like drinking even more age strict. in the States is yeah. 21. Yeah. So when you're 16, all you want to do is get beer and hook up with the ladies. Or dudes, <laughs> depending on your persuasion. And uh, so it was... <laughs> It was. I was only successful at one of those things as a teenager, and that was getting my hands on beer. But it was it was pretty low quality stuff, natty ice and that kind of swill, natural yeah, so ice. That stuff put me uh, uh, off from of beer drinking for several years because I thought, well, if that's what beer is, I guess I'm a whiskey man. I'm not going to touch this stuff. That's so, too funny. Yeah, it's too funny. You always mention that you moved to Florida. You're a big death metal fan. Yeah, absolutely. You moved to Florida, or you get deployed to Florida. Stationed there, yeah. Stationed yeah, in Florida. Yeah, I lived there. And it was the dead time for death metal from oh, Florida. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> so you must have been excited, and then you get there. Uh, it was So every album, like Iced Earth, Death, Deicide, I mean, name the album. It said Mora Sound on it. I think Cynic did theirs with him, or they did it with Scott Burns, someone else in Florida. And um, so I just thought there would be this huge neighborhood of just nothing but death metal bands, and they'd all know each other. I had this weird idea of what it was going to be like when I got there. And when I got there, they had all either broken up, were on some kind of hiatus, and the clubs there that were playing all the bands that would have them around weren't having them around anymore. So it was gone. It was uh, 1999, I believe, early 99, February, and I was just floored by the fact that I couldn't find these bands. And then I drove to Morrisound to see what the, I thought it was going to be some building. It's this tiny facility. It's on like Fletcher. in a factory, a factory area, I've heard. Yeah, it's actually in a more rougher area of town. But I'd, I was too scared to walk in there and say hello or anything like that. And I, I had this really romanticized version of what the Florida death metal scene was. And then the reality of it was completely different. So when I tried to do a metal band there, there wasn't that many people interested because the kind of music that was coming up through the ranks at that time was new metal. Corn, so, Limp Bizkit, Deftones. Yeah, and Slipknot had just broken big. We, we have spoken about that. We, we both went to that same tour. Yes, You yes. in Florida, me in Montreal. Yes. Machine Head, Cold Chamber. Slipknot and Amen. Amen. I don't think Amen made it into you, Montreal. You didn't make it into Canada? I don't think so. So they were terrible. No offense, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that night they were. We'll say that. <clears throat> they might have been great. I don't know. PC Gregory. Right. But uh, so Machine Head was direct support and then Cold Chamber was a headliner and I, I'm not going to lie, I absolutely hate a new metal. I don't really care for it to this day. Um, it has its qualities. And why, I, why did you go to the show though? Because I liked Machine Head who had put out uh, Burn My Eyes and uh, The More Things Change and at that point they were touring for The Burning Red which I wasn't a huge fan of. Which is but, their new metal album. Right, with the yeah. rapping and stuff. Yeah. But in hindsight, it's not a bad album. It just, at the time, for me, wasn't something I wanted to hear from a band that was really heavy and dynamic and uh, still playing metal in America, which was a trick. So this new band comes out called Slipknot, and I'd never heard them. And people said, you're going to love this band. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And then it's, what, nine guys? or They come out and... The three or four of those guys are six foot five, six foot six, so they're gigantic anyway. And then they get up on stage, and the entire maybe fifteen hundred people at the Ritz, aka the Masquerade, now back to the Ritz, went into a, a human tornado. Is the and I thought I was going to die. I I really was like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I was stuck in the middle of that, 
and it was a controlled riot. And it was one of the most awe-inspiring things I've ever seen. I've never seen a band pop a crowd like that, but a handful of times in my life. Um, like Lamb of God, when I watched them, they popped the crowd. Like, I, you would not believe it. And it was really, like, I knew I was watching something special when I saw them. And then, with all due respect to Machine Head, when they came out, the air was out of the room. Like, there just was no energy left. And then Cold Chamber had nothing. Cold Chamber had zero. And the crowd just left. Like, two songs in, they just wow. left. Wow. Yeah, because Machine Head did a great performance that night, too. But very different. Much more tame compared to Slipknot, who just Mature, erupted. maybe, almost. Absolutely. Very professional. Very slick. You know, and uh, and Rob was, you know, very nice to the crowd. Thanks for being here kind of guy. Whereas Slipknot was like, we hate you. Fuck you, you maggots. That, I mean, just, and I'm like, this, these guys are going to kill us. <laughs> it was surreal. My, my memories of that show in Montreal was, it was one of my, the second concert I went to. And we had just gotten the CD the week before, like my group of friends in high school. I think I'm in grade 11 or something. Right. And we just get the CD. And the only image that we've seen of the band is the CD. There's no internet back then. Yeah, which is some really jaded images on that it's album. It's all like, like yeah, it's kind blurry. Of and weird. Yeah. So when they all stepped out on stage, I was afraid. Yeah. I was like, we, we all were. What, but what is this? Yeah, but you could not watch it. Yeah. It was like, what am I, what am I seeing here? Great, you know? great show. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's transition to this tour. Uh, we're on the Hell Over North America, the Ultimate Blast Beat Party with Aborted, Benighted, Cryptopsy, and Hideous Divinity. How do you feel about this tour? You've done lots of tours in your life. Well, not like this, but not like this. So let's yeah. let's uh, let's uh, let's start with how do, how do you like this tour? I love this tour. It's uh, been one of one of the greatest experiences of my musical career as well as my personal life. Um, just because we've all gotten closer as friends, which is always my favorite thing. Um, the music is really secondary to the. I mean, not to sound you know corny, but like the music sort of secondary to the brotherhood you build with the fans and with uh, the bands, and just getting out there and meeting people and. Um, and selling merch, I meet thousands of fans. Like it was, it, and they've all been really cool, which is really nice. Like I wasn't sure what to expect. I didn't know if somebody tried to rob me. I didn't, yeah, you, you know. were so prepped the first day. You're yeah, like, I was. I was you're like, like, if someone tries to rob me, I'm gonna kill them. Yeah, yeah, and I was, I was like, on, Jim, it really doesn't matter. It's just a t-shirt. Yeah, I was in level <laughs> red. <laughs> and then that first night in Detroit, Detroit was scary. Was where I, they actually tried to, to yeah, rob you. The first day I went on tour was two people tried to steal some stuff, and I looked at the. He yeah, was a two-party crew, uh, a lady to my left trying to distract me, and a guy to my right with his hand on the table trying to swipe the tip jar and trying to uh, CDs or whatever he was trying to get. And she was trying to distract me, but I obviously was aware, and I was already at a heightened alert sense anyways just because I was nervous. And um, I just looked at the guy, and I said, are you sure? And he looked at me. And he thought about it, and he walked. For so people we that don't know what Jim looks like, he's he's a he's a big boy. <laughs> he's six foot four. Yeah, six three. Six yeah. three, yeah. and he's about two hundred and seventy five pounds. He's got some meat on him. Yeah, got some guns, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what would be the major difference between your previous tours and this tour? Well, this tour is way more high level than the ones I've done with with my band my band are just get in the van and go and do what we can to make it and see what we can do whereas this is um there's so many fans of these bands like and it was such an amazing it is such an amazing tour package with um 
you know, the buses, the sound guys, the merch, the lighting guys, you know, and um, and just this this entire thing is just such a big uh, presentation for extreme metal. And if there was any doubt in my mind at all, if extreme metal was having issues uh, Otherwise, it's been wiped away. They're very much fans of this everywhere. Even in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> but we drew a crowd there. Yeah, and they were shout into out it. to the Memphis people. Yeah. We're just teasing you. In the rain, they showed up in they the rain. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's so true. That was, I mean, that just they, shows they, you they're braving, cool braving the gunshots next door. Yeah. And there was, uh, yeah, lightning storm, everything. And they showed up. It was like, wow, you know. We were sitting in our bandwagon. And we hear pop, 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 pop. Oh yeah, pop. gunshots. Yeah, and we were like, "Was that gunshots?" I'm so Canadian, you know. I I live like in this little easy place. There's minimal violence. I've never heard a gunshot in Montreal. Right, and it sounds like fireworks. Yeah. So we text our TM Alexander Kendrick. Shout out. Um, you fibbed us. And I said, "Was that gunshots?" And he said, "Oh no, no. The promoter says it's fireworks." Now that was a 38. <laughs> you knew it right away. Yeah. Well. With my military experience and all my friends who are gun enthusiasts, I know a 38 snub when I hear it. We go to this, this store right next to where we were parked, and the clerk is watching on the video these guys stealing beer from him, and then he comes, you see him on the video run out and shoot at them. Yes. And he's like, I hope they're dead in their car, bleeding. They'll yeah. never come back here and steal here again. And I was like, oh my God. For beer. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have just given them beer. I, I wouldn't have shot them. It's not worth it. <laughs> I just stayed in the bandwagon the rest of the night. Yeah. I think I hung out there and hoped for the best. Jesus. Yeah. If you had to, could have pick a tour for Solium Fatalis, who would be on that lineup? Oh, boy. That's a tough question. Um, because I'm a fan of so many bands. And, uh, I mean, obviously Cryptopsy, because, if, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but Flo and Ollie play on our second album. And Chris, the guitar player for Cryptopsy, engineered it, along with our last three, actually. And if it wasn't for Cryptopsy being generous with me and, and lending me their talents and, and abilities and, and giving me an audience, I would never be in a band. So my first choice is Cryptopsy. And um, after that, I mean, I could just shoot for the moon and say I'd love to go out with Cannibal Corpse just because they're so heavy and I love that band. Hate Eternal would be up there. I have a ton of respect for Eric Rutan. One of the greatest compliments, i got to throw this out there to John Longstreth. When we were in New York, John Longstreth, who's uh, played with us live with Solium, with his band, um, paid me probably one of the nicest compliments he could have when he said, you're the only player I've ever seen that looks and plays like Rutan. And I thought that was so cool that he compared that, that, that is an excellent compliment. Yeah, and I said, yeah. I said, I don't know what to say, man. It was uh, it was because nobody really they really talked to our lead player, Ryan, who's a flashier shred kind of guitar player. So when somebody compliments me on my rhythms, it's it's pretty uh, humbling, honestly. You know, what what is in the future? Well, for us, I mean, hopefully, a, you know, I'd love to get onto a record label that would give us the time of day and. I'd love to go out on a real tour with a, with some bands like like we've mentioned or even you know just some people that we could get a little bit more of a step up in the in the uh musical world even if it's a small step I'll take it um very honestly it's been kind of tr- uh tough a little bit difficult for us to to kind of get a foothold music and it's just because there's so many bands 
And um, and I think, honestly, fans like a tried-and-true product. I think they know they can buy a Cryptopsy album or a boarded album, and they know they're going to get something that's really high quality. So if they go see us, they might be thinking, oh, I'm taking a risk. So we actually get compliments at our shows from some fans who are like, you guys are really good. You're actually a good band. Yeah, yeah. We've had them say, you're actually good. <laughs> which, which lies into the... The amazing videos that you've been posting <laughs> of the locals of the local bands. <laughs> there are some people I believe in introspective nature. I believe that you should be able to look within yourself, be honest with yourself. And just like I was before I was 30 years old, I could not get on a stage and play for you. It would be embarrassing. And I refuse to embarrass myself. There has to be some mechanism in some of these guys' heads that says, I'm not good at this. I need to practice. I need to learn my craft. I need to be disciplined and professional. Unfortunately, I think some guys just want to do drugs, party, and screw shit up. And they get up on stage, and it's, to be honest with you, it's sad because they're paying people there that want to see a good band. Nobody ever goes to a show and says, boy, I hope this sucks, and the bands are really (laughs) terrible. I don't think I've ever said that. Just the same as I've never gone to a movie and said, I hope this is terrible. Yeah, I I hope I fall asleep. Yeah, I hope this is so bad I can laugh at it for a week. No one says that, you know. Have you seen a good local band open up yet? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you would count Vengeful as local. They're pretty big, but they're excellent. Um, There was another band in Baltimore that did like a Doom Sludge thing. They were quite good. Um, The house sound guys didn't always do those guys a favor, but you could tell there was talent there, and they were good songwriters. That that is a good uh, tip, pro tip. When you go out on the road... You pay to get your own sound guy. Yes, absolutely. It changes everything. Absolutely. It's imperative because they know how you sound. They know your songs. They know what you're supposed to be doing. And you have a dialogue with them nightly. And Alex was uh, amazing. Alexander Kendrick was amazing for, for Cryptopsy and for Hideous and Benighted. They sounded great every night. So it was a real pleasure to watch that. I think uh, out of all the fans that were disappointed that Benighted were gone because they can only do two weeks of this four-week yes. tour. I think you were the most disappointed. I was actually, uh, it's kind of painful to admit, but I love all those guys. They're all the coolest guys, and I was legitimately sad. Um, I told Julian that I could not um, talk about it too much with him because I was going to get upset. You were going to cry? I was going to cry <laughs> because um, no matter what kind of day I was having, I knew I could go up to Fac or Manu or Julian, and I could just say hello, and they would always be in a good mood, and I'd always get a hug from Julian. I know I'm saying his name wrong, but... No, that's right, Julian. Yeah, Julian. Julian. So, but he was always like, Jim, give me a hug. And I was like, I love this guy. He's like the best guy. He's the best. And they were a show stealer, honestly. They were a real show stealing band. They they were awesome. They were a great buffer between Cryptopsy and them. You know, it was just a great mix with them in there. So I love them. Yeah, absolutely. So what's up, fellas? (laughs) You, You mentioned that there's some... Not complications, uh, obstacles, getting Solium Fatalis to the next level. Aside from there being too many bands out there, <laughs> what would be another obstacle? Another obstacle is just getting noticed. It, it's, it's getting noticed and being out on a tour that means something. Because we've gone out on our own, but unfortunately we don't draw enough on our own or have enough press 
to really pull those fans in. We've been very fortunate a few times. We did 170 in St. Vitus in New York, which was awesome um, because we were with Soul Remnants, and then Soul Remnants was signed to E1. But I don't think E1 really helped them out a whole lot either. So that, and I'd just love to be on a record label that believes in us, and, and I'll, I'll show them. You know, because I can write an album, no problem, and make something good, and I'll just show them, which has been what I've done since the beginning is, you know, if somebody liked Undying Season, I'm like, well, wait till you hear Neuronic Saw, and it was like, I can do better than that, and Ryan and I sat down, and we wrote Genetically Engineered, and um, it's I constantly am trying to improve and, and make this band a next-level band like where you guys are at, which is... You know, and this tour has been such a benefit for me because I'm able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, where I can see where we need to be and where we're at. And we're not too far off. We're no, very close. Playing-wise, you guys are fine. Oh, thanks. Songwriting, man. you're fine. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting into the right hands, the right yeah. ears. Yes. Getting that, in the getting right circles. That, yeah, those pieces yeah. of the puzzle kind of in place. And, of course, the band name's not exactly the easiest to remember. Solium. Fatalis. Now I got that. That part I got down. <laughs> Let's talk about that song that I did. Oh, gen- oh yeah, a gathering of storms. A wonderful yes. track with uh, a female vocalist named Heidi Irizarry, who is from your area. She's from Boston. Yep. Okay. She grew up in Chicago, but she lives in Boston. Okay. I love that track. It's different. How do you feel about it? Uh, well, for me personally, like. Um, because we don't have a wide audience to really appease and I don't have expectations, one of the cool things about being an independent band is I can kind of just do whatever I want. Getting the other band members on board sometimes can be a little bit of a pull, you know, a little bit tricky because for Jeff, our vocalist, it's really just making him visualize the song because he grew up on hypocrisy and uh, at the gates and dark tranquility and he likes that mellow death stuff and which is great you know it's fine it's not my favorite but either way who cares but um so getting him to help visualize that was a real trick so the first record we did a slow song called the seventh gate which is the only song off that album we'd still play live and um because i wrote that first record in two weeks and i just wasn't really happy with how it turned out so when we did the second record with Flo and Ollie, I did a song called An Asylum for Penitence, which is another really slow track that people were like, oh, this is different. When we did the third album, I really didn't do any songs like that. So when we got to Genetic, I really wanted to revisit uh, a more dynamic, simple, slow approach to a song, which sounded more like a soundtrack than to a film than it ever would a death metal song and i remember we did this and i play the clean opening and it's just nothing there's nothing to it it's like four notes a little bit of an octave and then heidi creeps in with her voice and then you kicked on and everybody just plays this song and i don't think we go past 70 bpm it's very slow and um I wanted to have our vocalist, which was you, Heidi, and our vocalist, Jeff, paint a picture rather than me paint a picture with a bunch of riffs and a bunch of shredding, because that's already been done by so many bands that are so much better at it than we are, uh, or at least me anyway, that I wanted to write a soundtrack that I know no other band could do. Only I could do it this way, because I had this image, and 
it it was tough to get Heidi and everybody to really see what I was going for until they finally heard the mix because it pieced together. But Chris and I had been working together for three albums at this point, so he definitely knew what I was going for. He definitely knew I had uh, assembled a sort of linear song that was going to paint different shades and um, really just sound uh, visual and vocal and and rather than just being da 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 riff 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 so if you listen to the track you have to be patient and you and the thing is is it's right in the middle of a death metal album and so i've seen reviews where people said it was a huge mistake i humbly disagree and i've seen more reviews that say it's the best song on the album and for me it's the best song i've ever written it was the first time in four albums that i visualized a song and it came out exactly how i had imagined and even better than how i had originally envisioned it so that was a a huge step for us and i definitely plan on making more tracks like it i I personally really like the song it's a very catchy uh, the female vocals are spot on, amazing, Julie Christmas esque. I, I really, really like it a lot. Um, do you think you will ever come out on the road with us again as a merch person? Oh yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And I, I've enjoyed having you. You're a breath of fresh air. You're always positive. You, uh, you know, you, you've toured a lot. You've yeah. been deployed a lot. You've been yeah. away from home a lot with a bunch of dudes. People dealing with issues, which happens on the road on tour as well. And I feel that you really helped round out and save this whole tour. Oh, thank you. So I thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Do you have anything else you want to add, Vox and Hops? Uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on here. It's a real honor to be amongst the luminaries of Vox and Hops. You've had some fantastic The Vox and Hops alumni. Absolutely, man. It's a great show. Thank you, Jim. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, man. Thank you so much for listening right to the end, Vox and Hops Heads. Such a pleasure to, to have Jim out on the road with us. He is, uh, as I mentioned in the interview, a breath of fresh air. Always a big smile on his face. He, he's uh, seen a lot in his life, and he's dealt with a lot of shit. And uh, he knows how to be a pleasant, pleasant dude in a touring atmosphere. So a huge cheers and a huge thanks to you, Jim. As I mentioned before, I'm going to be at Heavy Montreal this year. I'm going to be conducting a bunch of interviews. I got a bunch that are lining up. Hopefully they all pan out, and I'm excited to share them all with you. Check it all out. It's going to be on Vox and Hops coming up in the next few weeks. I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great weekend. Hang out with your friends, your families, and most importantly, enjoy life, metal, and craft beers. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.